0: Language and Culture with Dr. J, a podcast brought to you
1: by Culturium.com in affiliation with Quadel Books and Events. Welcome to Language and Culture with Dr. J. I am Dr. J. This episode is entitled Our Diplomats, an interview with Darian Akins, U.S. Consul General. We are today at the U.S. Consulate in Hamburg overlooking the beautiful Alster. My guest today is Darian Aikens, US Consul General in Hamburg and the ambassador's representative to the German states of Hamburg, Lower Saxony, Bremen, Schleswig-Holstein and Mecklenburg uh, Western. Pomerania. I can't say it in English. I can say it in German. <laughs> Welcome, Mr. Akins. Thank you for agreeing to meet with me.
0: Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. It's uh, actually a pleasure to meet you and to, to do the podcast with you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you. So I have to ask you, we're both Texans.
0: Yes, we are.
1: So so would you tell us about
0: yourself, a little bit
1: about your Texas background?
0: My Texas background. So I grew up in Arlington, Texas, which I'm sure you know, which awesome. is now where the Dallas Cowboys stadium now lies. Then I went to Texas a and so then that solidified my Lone Star residential status, right? Um, so I'm a Texan through and through, very proud Texan, and just one of the things I always mention here in Germany so is a very proud Texan.
1: Okay, so that's the first thing people need to know. Why? What, what does it mean to be a Texan?
0: Don't, don't mess with Texas. And, and no, I, I, you know, and that, that's, that's a misrepresentation. That's, that's a mis- misconception for <laughs> most people, I mean, although that's a very famous commercial. It is, it is. But to me, Texas means something else. Texas means independence and self-reliance, and I think that's good. And it helps me to also explain some of the, the current situations that people ask us about, some of the political situations they ask us about in States. And so it helps to explain those kinds of details when I tell people you have to understand how we think about certain issues and, and, and for example, being very independent or self-reliant. That does affect how we see the world. So I don't think that's a bad thing. So for me, yeah, independent self-reliance is what that means.
1: Would you care to elaborate a little bit more? I mean, what... So independent... Uh, um, well, you know,
0: so not to get into political issues. No, and I think not but I think it's one way I think it's one way to understand. And so let me pick something that's not s- so controversial. So like uh, healthcare insurance. Oh,
1: that's not controversial. Not, sure. <laughs> not at all. But I mean, just came, I just came from te- from Kansas and I, it's controversial. <laughs> <really>. <laughs>
0: But no, I, I think that when you when you understand Texans and the way we think about the world, I think it helps to explain why we wouldn't have like what we would consider to be social social uh, medicine interest, or social mm-hmm. medicine that everybody that is available to everybody. Because as Texans, we come at this issue from the point of view of the government is to provide basic resources, and then it's up to you to find your way in life. How do you make your life better? yes you're going to get a basic education you're going to get education through high school yes uh, you can get access to basic health care if you have an emergency yes that's going to be taken care of but the idea that you have a right to these things no I think Texans have a very different view about that this is like we're giving you a foundation from which you now need to decide Mm -hmm. how successful you want to be and if you want to limit your success and say, I want to live this kind of life, that's perfectly fine. If you decide I want to be very successful and I am ambitious and I'm going after this, that's also fine. And I think also one of the interesting things, and I talk about this a lot in terms of the U.S. in general, is, you know, for us, we don't tell people you have to be this way. So even the person that we look at and we kind of say you know we don't really agree with you you are kind of a little bit Mm." but we don't stop that person from pursuing that life unless they interfere or harm someone else so this person that goes off who thinks a little bit differently may also end up you know inventing something starting a, a, a new company or so forth because this person has ideas that other people just didn't have and I think that that's one of the things that's very good and unique about Texas and the United States in general.
1: I I agree with you. Like I said, I just came back from the States, and that's one of the things that I noticed. Um, Mm -hmm. um, Live and let live. Mm -hmm. And people seem to respect uh, each other's choices a lot more easily.
0: Yeah, and I think the parameters are wide. I think that's a good thing, Mm -hmm. personally. Mm
1: -hmm. How is it it particularly Texan? How is it different from the Mm -hmm. other states?
0: I think... We are much more independent minded. Uh, I think that there the basis in Texas would be your family and friends at the core. and and then it's your' independent outside of that. So like I think that you end up with this small group of people whom you rely on, whom you trust and and that becomes your foundation to go out to have the confidence to go out and and, and make your way in the world, mm. I think that's I think that's different. But, um, some states are very centered on family, and it's not so important what you do meaning in terms of a career. What's more important is that you're with that family, you take care of that family. I think some states are some states are are more like that. And I would even I would even say, well, I shouldn't take which state.
1: Oh, say just say it. Come on.
0: <laughs> a good example would be because I also have family in Oklahoma, okay. and I think Oklahoma is much more that way. Okay. I think if there's not there's not the concern to go out so much to make your way in life. There's more of a concern of like taking
1: care of the family. taking
0: care of people, taking care mm-hmm. of those closest to you immediately in front of you, mm-hmm. and it's reflected in the and and how. Problems are approached, the solutions that on a state level. With, then. on a state level, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. very much so.
1: Do you think that extends to communities, or do you think it still stays within family
0: structures? I mean, it extends to communities. Mm-hmm. but then I think that's true.
1: One of the things that I noticed now in Kansas is, and we're just then one more state higher uh, from from Texas, um, is that people people seem to really put an emphasis on communities, um, whether it's through church or whether through the neighborhoods or whether it's through some sort of organization or some sort of hobby, um, it seems to be really tight. It seems to be really close groups, um, very accepting, very helping, very helpful. Um, that, that was just sort of my impressions from the last couple weeks. Yeah, I
0: think that's true. I mean, it's not that Texans are not helpful, friendly. They are helpful. They're friendly. They're willing to work with other people. It's just, where do you approach that from? And, and, and you have to understand, if you go to West Texas, that's a different mindset too, right? Within this, within the idea of being Texan. I mean, if, if we put that on a continuum, then the West Texan is like very independent. Like, I don't need you at all. I can make all this work all by myself. Which we know that's not true, but that's, that's their idea, and you have to understand that.
1: What the Lone Star State. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there you go. Right? Right? Yeah. But, you know, and it's it's interesting because you know this, right, being from Texas, but most people talk about, you know, the don't mess with Texas because that's that's famous. But you know what actually Texas stands for, right? Friends. And most people don't know that. Most people are like, really? Yeah. Texas
1: means friends. Yeah. Well, but this, this don't mess with Texas. I mean, just, I don't even know why we're, we're coming back. To but, but still, I mean, it was, um, it's more than just this don't mess with Texas. I mean, it was used for several very positive uh, uh, campaigns, picking up trash on the highway. Uh, uh, I mean, so, so it's not just this idea of the lone cowboy that you shouldn't mess with. It's, it's also um, that, that, that certain things are important to Texas and certain things will be upheld. So, so it's also that. But if you're traveling through the United States, for mm. example, we, my husband and I, with the kid, with the children, um, drove from. Uh, we drove all the way through from Florida, and as you go through the states, when you get to Texas, it is different. It's a different feeling. It really is. It's and, and I. What, what would you say makes it different? I mean, everything is. It's a little bit more calm. Mm. Everything's a little bit bigger. Mm. Uh, trucks are bigger here are bigger
0: <laughs> I mean, everything is bigger you know uh, it is the largest state in the, of the us okay but the second largest of all the 50 states but we don't talk about that we we'll just say we're the largest commonly us state and, and there's a certain mindset about that yeah i agree with that it, it, and people are i mean i i think that they tend to be very outwardly friendly i mean it's not difficult to make an acquaintance in Texas very quickly. And especially, you know, if you need help, you need assistance, people will recognize that and come to you and what do you need? Absolutely. You know, where are you from? And they will also note, you know, you it's very clear when most people are not from Texas. <laughs> also, also. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: But you don't have the Texas accent.
0: Well, you haven't bought me drinks yet.
1: Ah, so it comes out <laughs> it, later. It comes out, it comes out. It
0: comes out later. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> I love how even in professional circles you will say y'all, and, and sort of, you know <laughs> I have a.
0: And that's a telltale sign, right? It is. You I mean, know, it's sort of, if we get excited in in certain situations, and the y'all comes out, it's like, okay, now I see it. Now I know you're
1: But have you have you lost your accent to a certain extent? I mean, I find that I. Um, I don't know what accent I have anymore. Yeah. It's, it's so, um, also having lived in Germany now for so long and um, I'm surrounded by, by uh, British friends and I practice my English or I speak English in, in British circles a lot more than, than American. So your accent becomes, it is altered, I mean.
0: Yeah, well, and I actually had a teacher in Texas who forced me to alter my accent. And I remember this distinctly. I I believe I was. This was I was in the sixth grade, seventh grade at the time, and we were preparing for a, a, a break. And so you know, a bell goes off and when, when the break starts. So
1: it's a recess. Okay. Yeah, it was or a some... break between classes. Okay. Okay.
0: And um, and I was really looking forward to this break, and so I was standing next to the door, and someone asked me a question. I'm like. Shh the bell's fixing the ring. Fixing the ring. My teacher turned to me and said, what? What did you say? And I said, the bell. It's fixing the ring. And she's like, try that one more time. And I'm like, what? The bell's fixing the ring. And she's like, no, no, correct that sentence. And I'm like, no, that's very clear. There's nothing wrong with that. And then finally, like, okay, the bell is about to ring. Thank you very much. Fixing the ring. That started the change. And then it it's like, Go around the world you're right. I'm always in that. I've even changed the way my name is pronounced because other people in other countries cannot pronounce my name. And so when I'm in Japan, it's one way. When I, when I was in Zambia, it was another way.
1: So how is it in, in Japan?
0: <laughs> Dalion. Yeah, because they have a hard time pronouncing the R, so yeah, I'm not so inflexible that...
1: So would you introduce yourself as well as Daryon? hmm
0: Yes. Because it makes it easier. It's just easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I try to make sure that they understand how to pronounce it. I, so I'll speak slowly, I'll enunciate so that people will be able to... Okay, I got it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, there's a phenomenon around the world that the majority of people, when they tell you their name, they like... They rush through it, and it's
1: like. That's true.
0: Wait a minute, you're. It's your name,
1: that? but not. <laughs> I know,
0: right? But you're telling me so that I know.
1: <laughs> well, I did that too. I, I said Henriette, <laughs> and then <I did>, uh, you. <laughs> yeah. So. Right, but it's but it's it, it's difficult. I mean, with my name as well, Henriette. Yeah. It's supposed to be Henriette. It's French. I mean, the only the French pronounce it properly. Actually. Right. So so here in Germany they say Henrietta. And in Texas, it was often Henrietta, which I, you know,
0: right. protested. Yeah, right.
1: that's right. That's what, that's
0: well, that's what I was told, right? So, <laughs> so, and it's really interesting. So, my, you, I, you'll know who my true friends are, because my true friends pronounce my name correctly because they grew up with me.
1: And how is it correctly pronounced?
0: It's Darren. Darren. Right. And... But I was often told... Once people see it spelled, they're like, "Well, that's not how you pronounce the name." I'm like, "Well, then you need to have a conversation with my father. Um, he's the one who named me." Yeah. But so it's always funny. So when people would call, my mother in particular would run my names together. So Darren
1: Keith, <laughs> Keith
0: is Keith is my Keith? middle name.
1: Darren Keith,
0: and so it comes out like Darren And so that's what my friends, they, they to this day will tease me about that. <laughs> and if they call. This is, they'll still hear my mother say that so when other people will call it my mother or anyone else will know <laughs> okay you don't know it very well because they'll say something like Dalion or Darian, as I, I
1: said Darian. So. Yeah, but
0: that's yeah and uh, so and my aunt one time she said
1: who are these People who
0: call and they're mispronouncing your name, Especially, <laughs> exactly, exactly. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, what are some of the other uh, versions of your name? Those are the two most Okay, the most, okay. most
0: Most of the dear Young is there most again. people get that one. And say. it should be Darren.
1: It should be Darren. Darren. Yeah. Is that is that difficult? Is that difficult to deal with as you go through life and not not to have people speak your language the way you're used to, the way you grew up, the way you think it should be for me
0: no uh, and maybe i'm a bit different from other people in this regard i truly feel that language is for communication so my my goal is that you understand me i understand you um i'm not so concerned about how i sound or if i use the perfect word or if i can speak Speak the person's language fluently, um, although I do feel self-conscious about that, like I would love to be able to speak every language fluently as a native speaker, I would love to do that, um, but I've come to terms with that as it's, it's, it's a very high expectation, but one that I'd probably never really be able to achieve, or very few people in the world be able to achieve. And so if if I'm focused on making a connection, then no, that I'm flexible about that. So okay, I know that that's difficult for you to pronounce my name. How would you say it, you know?
1: And then make them have fun. Yeah.
0: And so in Zambia, Darien proved difficult enough to say so that they would just call me Akins, because that was easier. Akins. And then I'm used to that, because you know, in Texas it's all about football, so we all play football, and what do we call each other? By the last name, yeah. By last name, you don't don't say your first name. And if you have a difficult last name, we shorten it.
1: (laughs) It's true. Well my dad was always called Coach Palm,
0: So it was just too,
1: too difficult to say anything else. So it was just And actually, well I, I do that too, because it's impossible to pronounce my my last name. And from you know my maiden yeah. name is Javarek. Yavarek. And it, it's javoric or Javarek. So you know, this was the, the jokes, you know, did you have a rack? Javarek <laughs> Henrietta, Javarek. <laughs> so this just I mean, yeah, this was great in high school. Yeah, yeah, that was Henry. Jameerak. Right? I mean, it was just it was great. So, so Dr. J. Also, because my last name is now Runte, but pronounced that in English, mm. Runty or Runt. Runt. To so try making a reservation, you know, with with Runte. I mean, I just you know make up a name because it's just well, you can't. I mean, and then you're spelling it, and then everybody's awkward. And then, then they not at the restaurant. Well, and they feel really bad because because they, 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 they were well Mrs. Mrs. R- R- runt. Just just say Queen. Queen. i have to, i should think about that yeah i i should i should use that next time so one right? queen yes yes that's right queen yeah, yeah. mrs queen or just queen just, just queen, queen. Just, just just i mean one name is enough One name yeah. <laughs> so so you you you, you say that, that that language is for communication you speak a few languages you speak english german Another japanese yeah, yeah and you also speak am i pronouncing this right chinanya chinanja yeah chinanja Tell me a little bit about how you learned these languages, and, and
0: well, the, yeah. So the, the first language, Chinanja, is spoken in eastern Zambia, southern Malawi, and northern Zimbabwe, is an offshoot of uh, Zulu, but it's, it's it doesn't have clicks. It makes it a little bit easier. But I learned that because I was a Peace Corps volunteer in eastern Zambia uh, for three years. I was glad for punishment. Yes, normally you know it's a two-year assignment, but I did one more year. (laughs) Um, Why? That's an interesting story. Oh, tell us. (laughs) We we love interesting (laughs) stories. So that's my story about leadership. I'll try to give you the short version. No, no, no. Please, please, Um, the long version. Well, so so I had a very difficult start to my Peace Corps service. I was, they had embarked on this new format for uh, how they were doing orientation training. And so they had split it into two parts. So the first half teach you, and then in the, at the midpoint, they would send you out to the village that you were gonna serve in. And that was to like motivate you because you're gonna get to meet the people and you're gonna stay with them for a while. And then you'll come back for the second half and you'd be completely motivated to continue learning the language and learning what you needed to learn. Um, and in my case, I went out to the village, and I was not what they expected, uh, in terms of an American, and so... What did they expect? Uh, not me. <laughs> in, in their view, I was not a typical American. And, you were a
1: Texan. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, no,
0: just... <laughs> And um, so when I first arrived, the, the person who was supposed to be my counterpart, he wasn't there. And... And you happened to know Zaman. Zamans are very gracious, very friendly, very hospitable people. And these, they, they 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 said, Well, he's not here. And I was fully expecting for them to say, But you can stay until he comes back. And they were like, But well, he's not here. Maybe you want to try back tomorrow. I mean, this isn't Zaman. So it's not like I got a car or anything like this. this is Transportation is very difficult, too. So I had to go back into town, stay in town, stay the night at, 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 at oof. I don't know if it qualifies as a hotel, but mm. <laughs> so stay at this place. So I have to come back the next day. He's not there. Come back the next day. And finally, he's there, but he arrives just as I'm arriving. And then he's like, oh, well, come back tomorrow. So again, right? So I spent my whole week going back and <laughs> forth. And then finally, like he says, when I got a chance to meet and speak with him, he's like, well, we didn't request a volunteer. Well, I knew that wasn't possible. Was like, they, they don't make that kind of mistake. Uh, so I said, okay. And I go back. So that was the start of my Peace Corps service. That's that's terrible.
1: That's terrible.
0: Yeah. And then I moved because uh, there was a Finnish volunteer that was working with the women's group there. And finally, after a while, we got to know each other and she pulled me aside and she said, you know, they don't really want you, right? And I'm like, yeah, I know. But... I've talked to my people about it. There's nothing I can really do. And she's like, and she took it about herself to contact Peace Corps. Oh, contact her organization and her organization contacted Peace Corps to explain. And finally, Peace Corps was like, well, okay, then you find another village. Now, this gets back into this idea about self-reliance and independence. Like, that was their view of, then it's on you. You know the culture. You know the people. You've learned the language. You've gone through this. You find another place. So,
1: had you learned the language before?
0: Uh, yeah, we had done orientation for three months to learn the language, plus some other things, some other technical aspects. And so it was like, okay, you have to find.
1: But how does that feel? I mean, so if you're a volunteer, you're volunteering your 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 time, your yourself, your your knowledge, your 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 person, your person. You, you invest in it. You how, that that's terrible.
0: Yeah, um, it was a bit daunting. But again, I remember I told you that I'm, I'm very much all about communication. And and I, I, I tend to think in terms of, well, there has to be a reason. So my journey to discover, well, what's going on here helps me in that situation. Uh, but anyway, I eventually, okay, this is not going to work. So I started looking for another place, another village. I found another village. Um, And what made a difference there is that this individual who eventually became my counterpart, and I worked with him, worked very well together for two years, um, he had an American professor when he was going to university. And that made all the difference in the world. That he had been exposed to the fact that the United States was much more diverse than people typically assume. And so he had... Uh, an American professor who was not of a typical assumption about where, you know, the background of most Americans. <laughs> and uh, so for him, it was very normal. So we got along quite well. But the part about the leadership is, why did I do the extra year? Because the first two years were very difficult. Um, and uh, our Country director pulled me aside one day and he's like, um, we were doing what's called the close of service conference. So at the end of the two years, you're closing out your service, you're getting ready to go back to the States and you can stay for another years. Most people don't. But he specifically asked me, he said, um, you know, Darren, I'd really like you to stay another year. I you're out of your mind. I said some very... Choice works, actually. And I said, you're out of your mind. No, I'm not staying. And I said, do you know what I have gone through? The only reason I have stayed for two years is because I am committed. I signed up for this. I said I'd do it. I said I'd do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to complete my two years, and I'm going home. And I would have left bitter, because mm-hmm. it was a hard two years. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I, I really think you should stay another like, year. And I'm like, no, I'm not staying another year. And he said, well, you know, don't make a decision now. Let's talk about it. I'm like, there's no point to talk about this. I, I, I'm not changing my mind. He's like, yeah, don't, don't make a decision now. <laughs> he then, I got back to my village. He then contacted me a week later. And he's like, yeah, I, I want to finish that conversation. I'm like, no, we finished that conversation. He's like, no, 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 let's talk about it some more. Okay, three conversations later. And I had said at one point, he said, you asked me if I knew what you had gone through during your first two years of service. And this man, to his credit, did. He read my file. He went through everything. He said, said, I know you went through this. I know you had this experience and this experience and this experience. And... He said, and that's the reason why I want you to stay. Think about it. You've gone through many experiences that one volunteer may experience one of those situations. Mm. You've gone through many of them. So, what better person would I have than you to stay to mm. help people cope with, you know, uh, adjusting to life here in Zambia, particularly in Eastern Province, which is the reason why I want you to be the provincial coordinator, and stay and coordinate for the other volunteers that we're sending. By the way, we're sending more volunteers to Eastern Province. And only because he knew exactly what I had gone through, I chose to stay. Mm. And it was the best decision I ever made. Mm. In that third year, I had an amazing year. Um, because... One, I did understand what everyone was going through. I also understood the culture. I also understood how things worked at that point. And because I was not bitter, Zambians befriended me in a way they hadn't in the past.
1: They hadn't intended to.
0: Whatever the basis for it was, it was the last year was an amazing year.
1: That's such great advice. Trying to sort of work abroad or study abroad, it's it's really this this aspect of perseverance and and really sticking to it and and trying to figure out why and how. It, it's it's great advice.
0: Yeah. So there there were two things that I learned from this experience. One is you can misunderstand people. I tend to think people are basically good at heart. And so when something negative happens, it's not necessarily intended. I think in most cases, it's completely unintentional. And so you have to go on this journey to discover what that is, why, what's going on there. And when you take the time to do that, people will actually appreciate because you will then be able to, I think I understand what your point of view is. And they'll tell, you can tell when you've hit on it. You can tell when you discover, yes, that's their point of view, and then they'll open up, and that's what happened in that last year.
1: Well, and I guess if you're if you're trying to really have an exchange, if you're really trying to affect each other's lives, whatever negative thoughts, prejudices, whatever might be there, um, the only way to affect it is to actually be there and to actually prove otherwise. Right. Um, isn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, whether we want to admit that or not uh, um, running away or, or turning your back, then it's just two backs to each other uh, yeah. so, so it's, wow.
0: And I think when you initially come in and you're, you're welcomed initially, and, it, and this depends on culture, but I, I find this to be true, if you're what's seemingly warmly welcomed from the very beginning before people know you so let's say it's based on whatever kind of superficial. Maybe it's based on your nationality. Maybe, oh, I've heard great wonderful things about Americans, so that's the reason why I'm morally welcome. You have to understand that superficial. And that does not necessarily mean that the person likes you, or is closer to you, or there is this close relationship. Um, I had the opposite experience, which was like, I was not immediately accepted but because I stayed and I really got to know people, then they felt like I really got to know mm-hmm. them. Like, I was there for them. Other volunteers had the opposite experience, which was they were very warmly received when they first got there. Initially. But and- they never then went beyond that. It was like they didn't feel like they had to put any work into it. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa, you warmly welcomed me. Great, I'm mm-hmm. I'm going to ride that wave. And so there were things after two years that, Zambians would share with me that they wouldn't share with other people because they felt like I understood better.
1: Mm.
0: But not because of any... But because I had done these two years and done the work.
1: Did you figure out what initially was exactly wrong or why they had... What exactly they expected?
0: You know, America's a very diverse place. We have people from all different backgrounds. Uh, Zambians had a very particular view about Americans in terms of race. Right? And so, what when I showed up, that's not what they expected an American to look like.
1: Oh, how frustrating.
0: Yeah. But, but but again, this gets back to the question of perseverance. Like, So, I didn't... What's a good way to say that? So, I got no brownie points from the beginning. I got no... Initial warm welcome based on these superficial characteristics. You right? weren't
1: the I don't know the tall blonde uh, jock
0: or. or <laughs> I mean, so here's, so here was the really interesting part. So so I'm in the village. And I've been there for about, about a month, and the friend a friend of mine came, and and he is a typical-looking American, at least in their view.
1: That's funny that you say that because I really, um, especially for for Americans, I really would not have a typical-looking anybody. Right. Very seriously. I mean, um, there were these commercials. um, Oh, my goodness. came out around 2000, 2001. I am an American. Mm. And it was all these different faces, all these different and all these different races and that is to me I am American so so for me as well it's, it's strange for me to even think of having a race a religion uh, a, a face to what it means to be American and it is
0: strange because when my friend came to visit mm-hmm. <clears throat> he was also taken aback. But so when he arrived they were like oh an American is here and so then there, they, they were all, all the people gathered as he was walking into the village, and he—I hadn't seen him yet—and uh, and then this whole group brought him over to where I was, um, and then they, on the way they said, "Oh, well, we're going to definitely have to have a party tonight, so we'll have a dinner in your honor." Blah, blah, blah. And so he comes to where I am. He comes uh, to my house, or call it house. Um, Residents. Yeah. And, um, and so then we're chatting and he said, hey, they're going to have a dinner tonight for us. And I'm like, I, for you? And he's yeah. like, no, no, no. He's like, I'm sure they mean us. I said, no, they mean you. And then I explained the situation. He's like, and he was perplexed because again, as Americans, yeah. that's not something that we see. And sure enough, I say, like, well, go ask, go clarify. So he said, um, "Oh, so we're gonna have a party for for us, for, the um, volunteers." And he's like, "Oh, if you want your friend to come, that's fine." <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow. So yeah, no, but again, it's it's trying to work through that, you know. Like, it, you, yeah, was I disappointed? Yes, I was disappointed. Was I upset? As it went on, <clears throat> yeah, I was a little bit upset. But but again, I really tried to understand from their point of view. And it took a bit, I'll honestly say. And the counterpart that I met, that I ended up working with for those two years, really helped. Like we had very open conversations, and so that was, it was very helpful.
1: I bet you affected the village, and, and I think your your service was probably even more valuable because of the, this exchange or this, this journey that you went on. I hope so. Oh, I hope I've, so. I've, for sure, because it's, it's, it's such a... It's such an emotional, psychological, uh, sociological journey. It's, it's it's so much more significant than just the oh, whole
0: And that became been... the basis of why I wanted to become a different Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I felt like, like can't get any harder than that. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and
1: also the difference that you can make and how you can reach an understanding and how you can uh, um, fight stereotypes or fight... Um, politically difficult situations and yes. Yeah man so maybe that's I mean again this is not a political podcast it's it's on language and culture um but maybe maybe that's that's a question that I could ask you. How can language and culture bridge the gap, create, bridge it, build bridges politically? Um especially when situations are delicate or, or difficult. I thought about it and it really is that
0: you have to put the work in to understand the other person's point of view. Um, a good example is, my wife is not American. Um, wife is Japanese. She's, she's Japanese and in Japan they have this concept and I, which is my inner self and my outer self. And it's true Important to understand if you really want to befriend the Japanese person. Because again, what's presented is the outer self. This is what I want you to know. This is what my culture demands that I put on display. But that's not necessarily me. And so you, in order to have a friend, a true friend in Japan, you have to get beyond that. But it's important to understand that concept. If you never understand that concept and you think that the person who's presented to you is that person, that that's their personality, that's their characteristic, that's who they are, you will completely misunderstand. And it was, and I don't mean this in a negative way. <clears throat> but it sort of illustrates my point. I used to tell people before they would go to Japan, Japan, there's an inverse relationship between how much time you spend in Japan and how much t- and how much you love it. So if you're there for a day, you thought that you would think that Japan is the best place on earth. Because people are extremely polite and friendly. They are. Um but as you get to know, it's not that they're not friendly and continue to be polite. They do. They're still friendly. They're still polite. But what, as the more time you spend there, you will get to know more about who Reality. they are as individuals, hmm. the inner self. Hmm. And there is, there's, there's a disparity between the outer self and the inner self.
1: Wouldn't you say it's the same with the U.S.? One of the questions that are, oh, are Americans superficial? Oh, you know, this sort of, hi, how are you? I'm fine. Let's do lunch. And so, so that doesn't go beyond. Yeah. And I always answer... No, it's the same. It's the same. I really think, I mean, your example of Japan, I think it's the same all around the world. It's just we approach it from different angles. Mm. In Germany, and I, I don't know how long you've been in northern Germany now.
0: Six, almost six months.
1: Almost six months. <laughs> so I'll ask you about your experience in, in just a second. Uh, my experience in northern Germany is that initially uh, you have a wall Initially, it's 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 the opposite. I sort of know who are you, what do you want? With I've had this experience with neighbors, with people in the streets, with uh, um, colleagues, etc. And then once you're in, once you are friends, then you are truly friends. Yeah. And I think that friendship. This is just my personal opinion. Around the world, is the same. Once you are truly friends, once you are family, it's it has the same implications. It's just how you get there, and it's the same answer that I give with with the United States, with with Americans. Um, of course, you're not you can't be friends with everybody. Of course, you can't be friends from the get-go. It's just a different initial contact. We just choose to be more friendly, more smiley, more open initially. But the road to becoming friends, the road to intimacy to to knowing somebody is the same. Right. So so why would you expect it in one culture and not the other? So, so it's... it's.
0: Yeah, it, it, the analogy that one could use is having the aperture wide open or having the aperture closed. And so I would say Americans have the aperture wide open, so we meet a great deal of people and we have this superficial connection initially, very quickly, like we will engage with anyone, and then we spend our time whittling that down to the people we're closest to, you yeah. know. And definitely, I've had this experience in other other countries. So I haven't been in Germany as long as I've lived in other countries, so I will say in other countries I've had the opposite experience, where it's the same, The aperture is very closed, and so they spend their time selecting very carefully who they let in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it's just a difference in approach. But I think that that's yeah, I think that's tr- typical. I have found that. We, as citizens of the world, are very similar. The, the, there, are, there are differences, but the difference is what we want is the same, right? I want to be able to enjoy my time with my family, my friends, and I want to be able to live a decent life. And do some good. And hopefully do some good, but how we do that, how it's structured, is very different from culture to culture. But we all basically want the same thing, and so you have to understand it's not that road; it's this road. When you're talking to certain individuals, you know, that's that's the part that you have to understand. What's the road that they're that they're traveling? Um, and if you don't spend the time to figure out, oh, this is the road that they're traveling. And, and the biggest mistake is assuming that, oh, that looks similar to the road that we travel. So, yeah. Oh, I know what they want. I, I, I know, know what they're I I they like. I've, I've read you. I've understood you. That's a mistake. Mm. Um, Absolutely.
1: So what has your experience been in northern Germany? And what brought you here?
0: I, I feel like I've been welcomed. I really feel like I've been welcomed. Um, But I've... I, I, I have that in the back of my mind from my prior experiences and, you know, throughout my life that, like, this is only the beginning. So I'm, I don't make an assumption there because I'm warmly received that that's the end of this. Um, I, I realize that it's incumbent on me to take the relationship further, like, and, and try and discover. You know, what's this person really like? Uh, What do they truly want? Who are they as an individual? Um, and, And not assume that the person that I initially meet is, let's say, going to be the same person that I may discover a year or two years later. And I think that people tend to appreciate that. They'll see the effort being made, i like, he's really trying to know who I am rather than keep it at a a superficial level. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: But in the streets, you know, sort of not necessarily in your job, Mm -hmm. you must have a little bit more difficulty making initial contact in Hamburg than in Texas. actually this is this is it's it's, it's kind of funny because uh, our very first podcast is on or was on say hello yes. And, and one of the things I said was sort of, you know, where I'm from. And, and I was sort of referencing, uh, Kansas and Texas. People say, hi, howdy. People even still now. I mean, I just now called, got called babe and sweethearts and by older ladies, by older ladies. <laughs> okay. So this is no, this is nothing, no sexual harassment yeah. or any sort of men being inappropriate. This was sort of older Southern and older Kansas ladies who said sort of, and, 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 I still experience that. So so on the first podcast I said, you know, we we still sort of say sweethearts and, and, and we say hi and we right away sort of oh, come on in and we know our neighbors and everything. And and then I met up with a friend from Chicago and she said, Oh, you're you out of your mind. I don't know my neighbors. I don't say hi to I don't want them to say hi to me. And I just and I said, so I thought, Oh, okay, well, am I misrepresenting the US? And so so it's I think there are different areas in the U.S. as well. Different. It depends if you're in a small town, if you're yeah. if you're in a in a in a big city. It depends what exactly you're doing in the day, um, and you're going to have a completely different experience. And then,
0: I think that's absolutely true. I, I, there is a noticeable, significant difference between a metropolitan area and a small town in the U.S. Even in Texas.
1: You're gonna have yes, a different, in,
0: <laughs> different experiences in times.
1: Dallas and Houston than sort of in more uh, in Brian college Station is gonna be completely different and.
0: And and here's the thing, I and mean, people think it's contradictory, and it's not. Here's what I would say: Let's say you meet someone in Dallas; they'll still be friendly. They will still maybe invite you out for drinks, to, um, uh, or to do something together. And if you go to a small town, I think that the level of hospitality becomes ratcheted up. Because what they'll do is, they'll they'll meet you, they'll be friendly, and then they'll say perhaps, oh, why don't you come over for dinner? Exactly. Or, or in a small town, why don't you come to church with me? Exactly. And that throws people off. Yeah, yeah. So it is this level of...
1: I mean, I was invited to church at the grocery store. I mean, just now. I mean, I was buying yogurts and I couldn't find this particular yogurt. And this man said, "Oh, you're visiting. Oh, well, why don't you come to church with us? We'd like to." W-. So, I mean, really in Kansas, and this is the Kansas City area. Even yeah. this is not rural Kansas. I really had this experience of people and people. I took a, I took some dance classes. People invited us over to their house. You know, sort of really very hospitable, very open. So when I was
0: a Texas, and I had a friend. I shouldn't say her name, but I had a friend. And her family is very conservative, and she was very close to her family, and um, she wanted to go back and see her family. And her father said, you're not coming by yourself. So so then she said, okay, well, I'm going to bring my friend. The friend was female. She said, nope, the two of you are not traveling by yourself. A man has to come with okay, you. Okay. So she, she asked me if I would... So I said, okay, yeah, I'll go. And this is, it, it, it was very different. The male chaperone. Yeah, this, <laughs> this whole concept of male chaperone uh, and, and very hospitable. Like, our mother was very gracious, made breakfast in the morning, very, very kind. And then, of course, of course, it was on a Sunday. We're all going to church. This was not even a question. It's like, would you like to go? It's like. Well, Darian. By the way, on Sunday we go to church. We'll go at about nine a.m. Okay.
1: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah. Um, it, those sorts of situations. Like, yeah. I'm not asked. Yeah. This is just what's expected. Huh? Yeah. Huh? You are a, for for this weekend. You're part of the family. <laughs> but, but I mean, I, I can say that that's something that is unique. About Texas A&M, although when I was there, we were forty-five thousand students approximately, and you do not feel that it's a university of forty-five thousand people. It is still a university that feels like a very small town, very small community, um, and it was a it was a nice complimentary experience to to my prior overseas experience, you know, because I. The first time I did a study abroad program was at Texas A and I went to Japan, and you know, having those kinds of experiences and coming from that kind of background is is uniquely helpful in understanding in understanding other people because coming from Texas A is really about this this idea of community. It's it's this idea about values and traditions, um, and I saw the world through that prism and then being able to then be in another place and see that through another person's or another culture's view was an enriching experience and an eye-opening one. Mm. Um,
1: Tell us a little bit about Texas A&M. I think that a lot of American universities have a lot of tradition, and, and uh, university towns are these little havens, and these, um, I have, I'm very nostalgic, I went to the University of Kansas, um, I ended up studying abroad a, a lot, and, but, but I always returned, and I'm super nostalgic, I mean, when I go to Lawrence, Kansas, I just, oh, it's just... Those are just, those were just, I, I had really great college years. Um, and, and Lawrence has, the University of Kansas has a lot of tradition with the Jayhawks and then with the, with the basketball team and then with, uh, with sports, but with also with arts and with classes and with sororities and fraternities, et cetera. There's, there's great campus life and, and, and great university spirit. Um, but Texas a and is really special. Uh, mm-hmm. Would you mind telling us? Of, I, mean, I mean, we're talking about the Yale leaders. We're talking about the bonfire. But I mean, I, all of this I, I, I adored. So would you mind for, for our listeners kind of telling us some of the treasures that you find at Texas a and
0: Yeah, I, I mean, if I had to sum up Texas a and it, it, it really is about a sense of community, values, and traditions. And, um, I met my best friend at Texas a and we are still friends. This is almost 30 years later, or oh, more than 30 years later.
1: This is the, 30 years let's now. not talk about age and how long, how long friendship, that always, yeah.
0: I, I hate that now, now yeah, that I'm getting no.
1: older, I always think that when you, when you, when you count how long your friendships are, you just go, like, oh no, it can't be.
0: But, I mean, what was interesting about it is, um. I will say, here's what I learned from the experience. I learned through those traditions, through those values of the community, that be true to yourself. Like, if this is who you are, be who you are. Um, Be strong enough to be who you are. You don't have to accommodate everyone. And so being able to stand up for certain values stand up for certain traditions and but but and here's and here's the thing it's not necessary nor helpful to judge others when it is different from your own background so for example you know if i have a tradition or my values are one way and your values are diametrically opposed to mine i don't need to make value judgments about that like what I learned at Texas a and was like, but get to know the individual. And I know I, I say this a lot because I think that that is, it is representative of, of being Texas. We see the world in terms of individuals, you know, and not so much in collective societies. Although, and this is where this gets kind of funny, right? If you ask me, and I, I said part of this is about community, being in part of a community, And I think that the part of the community is, is you're living in a place that allows you to be you, and the community is giving you a certain level of confidence to go out and be you, and that's what becomes important. Um, And it's not that it's not important. Community is important, and how you socialize is important. But it's with the idea that you are able to express yourself as an individual, and that Tends to be different, you know. If you go around the world, and so my first experience going overseas, truly overseas, and living in overseas was my study abroad in Japan, and very different society, and it it, it helped because I was in that situation where I'm confident enough because of these traditions, because of that community, to be me but without making judgments and wasn't, I didn't assume that, that Japan or Japanese people were just like we were. I didn't make those assumptions and some of us did.
1: How much do you think, I mean, as, as a diplomat and you have lived in Afghanistan, India, Japan, Malaysia, Australia, Indonesia. So you've lived all around the, all, all around the world and you've worked uh, in, in most of these countries as well how much and especially in your work as a diplomat, how much do you think you you have brought your American culture to these to these Different countries, and how much do you think you were affected? I mean, as a diplomat, uh, as you go through life, and then mm-hmm. you have lived in, in in so many different places, and and you end up not living in the U.S. for for obviously, if you're living in these different countries, you're not living in the U.S. Mm-hmm. How to to what degree do you become affected by the different places? Do you think?
0: Um, I have a story about that. Yes. So, I was serving at one place where the society was very hierarchical and in the interact. In in so if you were married, you were in one group. If you were singing, you were in another group. If you were from this region of the country, you were in another group. Uh, if you were wealthy, you were in another group. There were just It was so segmented. And then you added religion into that. And so there's just all these things. And there were very hard and fast rules about this hierarchy, you know. Um, so anyway, there was an accident on compound one day. Someone had hit one of the vehicles, and um, and an argument ensued, and this ensued on uh, just beneath the principal officer's window. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe they were going to have this argument out in front because it basically was two groups who quickly then decided, took up sides, and like, this is your fault, this is your fault. Um, and this had, I would seen the situation for a while, and but that I could not believe. So I called them into my office and I said, um, that just, that's not gonna work. And I said, and they said, well, we know who did it. And I said, well, how do you know who did it? And they, and basically, because it's hierarchical, they picked the person who was lowest on that poll and said it had to be that individual who did it. Mm. And everyone agreed. <laughs> and so here's where my Americanism comes in. It's like, well, <laughs> that is the very definition of injustice. Like, you are not making some judgment here based on a hierarchy as to what this person did or didn't do. And I said, no. I, I said, here's the deal. Um, you have 24 hours. Whoever did it can come and tell me, and then I'll take the reprimand out of that person's file. And they said, what do you mean? Do you mean? I said, because I'm going to put a reprimand in both individuals' file because I don't know who did it. And to me, if you're honorable, whoever did it, you can come to me privately, you tell me, and I'll take the reprimand out of the person's file who didn't do it. And they're like, well, that's fine. We'll both get the reprimand. Wow. So, and here's where the Americanism comes in. So subsequently, I, this was exhausting to deal with. (laughs) And so I I called everyone together and I said, from this point forward, you will not complain about these different traits, characteristics, or someone's background. I don't want to hear it. I don't want you to complain about it. You are working for us. And yes, sorry, this is an American institution, and we have certain rules, and we're going to abide by those rules. And they said, well, you can't do this. This is who we are. You cannot dictate how what we believe. And I said, you're right. I cannot dictate to you what you believe, but I can change your behavior, and I will change your behavior, because if you value your job, then you will adjust your behavior accordingly. And if you don't, then you can leave. I said, now, with that, outside these four walls which of this American institution, if you want to continue to have those beliefs and, and, and practice those, what I would term as being prejudices, fine, no problem, but you'll do it outside the four walls. And so, again, it gets back to being these traditions, traditions and values, being strong enough to, like, know I'm not compromising on this because this is who we are, this is what we stand for. But I'm understanding enough to say, I know you have your own culture, you have your own way of thinking about that. That's fine. But you're working for an American institution and in this institution, we will abide by these rules.
1: And especially as a diplomat, you're you're representing the United States, but you're a diplomat. So you are
0: supposed to bridge the... Well, but you know, that's the thing. I'm compromising, but just not in the way that people think about compromise. People tend to think compromise is like, oh, I take the two ideas and, like, I do some blending. Well, to me here, and this gets, again, back to the Texas a and and the Texas thing. No, I can't compromise on that. What I can compromise on is to say, I really am not trying to change who you are. Mm. I am trying to change the way you function mm. only because... You're functioning in this environment. Mm -hmm. Outside of that environment, if I came to your house. Your rules. Your rules. Mm And I'll abide, and I will adjust Mm -hmm. according to your rules. When I told you I went took my friend to see her family, I was abiding by her family's rules, right? I accepted that. I wasn't trying to impress my views on uh, on Mm -hmm. that situation. So same thing here. Mm -hmm. Context is important. And they I only learned that through the experience of, of, of living in different
1: places. And do you think then that, that we're capable of affecting each other? Do you think, for example, in, in, in this example, um, do you think the individuals learned from it? Do you think they then implemented this, these thoughts in their daily lives? Or, you know, did they take it outside of the walls and uh, apply it to their own culture, to, even if to a smaller degree? <laughs> in
0: some cases, yes. Um, in quite a few places that I've worked, women tend not to have the same opportunities. And so I have found that women who work for embassies, or U.S. embassies and U.S. consulates overseas, enjoy that experience, and it's a good opportunity. One, that they may not be afforded in the local market. Mm. Um, and that does have a tendency to affect people. Um, and I've seen that situation where I've seen people gain confidence in terms of what their abilities are and what, that they their opinions matter and that they can actually affect policy and that mm. people are listening and we'll make adjustments according accordingly. I've, I've seen that happen. Um, but you know, it's still difficult within their own the constraints within their own society. Right. I've seen that. But yeah. But I think that goes, it can go both ways. But I'm I tend to be there temporarily. I tend to be there for two, three years. So the Impact on me, it's not that it's short term, but you may not see that fully reflected in the time that I'm there. You see that reflected in my views over time as I've gone to different Mm -hmm. countries and different places.
1: Absolutely. So, what mission did you have in the various countries? What objectives did you have? Did you have a specific one? You don't have to.
0: No, I mean, I never have. I mean, that, that, that's always mission by mission, post by post. So every, every mission will have its objectives, and then you, you understand what those are, and then you try to implement those.
1: And what would your missions be for Germany
0: now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's set down uh, by policy in Washington, D.C., and then it's filtered through what the ambassador's priorities are, and then, you know, and again, those those priorities are expressed to us through the ambassador, this is what he would like to focus on and then focus on those mm-hmm. on those issues. I think that there are long-standing ties between the United States and Germany, um, and I do find it rather... I, I, I've heard, I don't know how true it is, I've heard that there, at times, there's... Um, less enthusiasm to go and travel and study abroad in the States, or or do a year of high school in the, in the States through exchange programs. Um, and so I what I think is we have to explain why we think that that's relevant. I think that that's important. I think it's important to have as much exchange between our two countries as possible. Um, And because in a lot of cases, we have the same goals. Um, We may go about it differently, um, but we basically have the same goals. And so I think, yeah, that. but we have to explain this relationship today in a way where young people understand why it's important. And I think that that's sometimes where we could do better. Because I think we tend to explain this relationship in everything surrounding World War II. Well, we've had this relationship since World War II. It's like, no, first of all, the relationship is way older and enduring than that. But it's always important to the next generation to explain to the next generation, what does that mean for you? Like, why is this important to you? Um, and I can't say for Germany, but I will say what I tend to think is very important for the United States. Um, I think that the United States, for the most part, has this right in terms of how do you allow people to become the best versions of themselves? And, you know, we take people from all around the world and they, they become citizens, and I, and I think that that is a overall net positive, positive. and the only thing that binds us together is our constitution, we make a choice, we make a choice to give our allegiance to the constitution and defend that constitution, and in the process adhere to the covenants therein, which is basically taking care of everyone else who's agreed to the same thing. That is very different from other countries where it can be based on blood and it can be based on segments of society. Um, And so I think that we have that right. And it's, we have to be able to explain why we think we got that part right. why we think that that's relevant. But in terms of Germany and the United States, it is trying to explain how this relationship has benefited both countries. And so, if you just take the last 75 years, in the last 75 years of eight decades, we have been able to build two of the largest economies in the world. We've been able to allow people to express themselves, be themselves, experience freedoms, you know, that allowed all of this to take place. That is a huge benefit, and people need to understand that. But I think many people, even Americans, take that for granted. They just think that that will be. And it's like, no, you have to continue to fight for those things. You have to continue to remind people why it's important. Uh, and so that's the challenge ahead of us, is to be able to explain to both Americans and Germans, you know, what we can accomplish, well, first of all, what we've been able to accomplish together by having this strong transatlantic relationship. And then explain it in terms of today, why is it important for you and why is that important for the future and why is that gonna be important for your children, for mm-hmm. the next generation? That's the task ahead of us.
1: Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that's that I always say about the U.S. is you can find everything in the U.S. Um, if you're looking at nature, you find everything. If you're looking at it politically, if you're looking at it culturally, um, it's it's really such a rich uh, uh, fountain of of. Diversity in in every regard, um, in opinions, in in language, and accents, and uh, cultures that 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 come together, uh, etc. So so I, I always find the the U.S. fascinating, and every time I, I go back, or or if you if you travel at all uh, in the in the United States, it's it's so vast, it's so. You, you you can discover something new on, on, on every on every visit on every
0: uh, every time.
1: So yeah, I tell people
0: that that exact same thing. That uh, I remember when I was younger, people used to limit the fact that they said, "Well, Americans don't travel very much." And I'm like, "Well, you know, honestly, because we don't have to. Absolutely, I mean, we have mm-hmm. things there." Not I, I I do believe it's overall a good thing that people travel and, and and go awesome. to different countries, but you know. It's not missed on me that like if I want to go to a wonderful skiing place or playing places in the United States, for me to do that. If I want to go to a desert, I can do that in the United States. Mm-hmm. If I want to go to, you know, a metropolitan city of ten million people, I can do that too. Mm-hmm. On, to both to yeah, on both coasts, yeah. <laughs> you know, so and, and, yeah, I agree with you that there's many of those things, and so that's that becomes a challenge for Americans to explain to other Americans where the benefits are in traveling. Mm-hmm. and I don't mean just doing tourism. Mm. I think it's very important for actually young Americans it. to travel and do exchange programs mm. in Europe, in Germany, and be there. Be mm. there for a year. You know, a year is a good, a, a solid time to learn, and you need to do that when you're young.
1: But but I guess that's the, exactly so. I mean, if you, if we look at it from from the other side of the of the of the coin, I mean, one one aspect is why why Europeans or, or uh, students around the world should go to the United States. But the other side is is you know if if you're looking at American students or Americans uh, traveling, um, absolutely. I mean, you can travel. It takes five hours. How, how long do you fly from from New York to 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 California? Um, I, I mean, sort of. If, if you're flying across the United States, it's it's. Uh, and you're and you're comparing that distances to Europe. You've visited several countries. Yeah. So so um, Americans do travel. It's just tend, a lot of Americans tend to travel within the United States or to Canada or Mexico. Let's not forget that as well. That yeah. we can also <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we have two neighbors uh, also that that uh, are very close. Um, but but of course, culturally it's completely different. Um, um ideologically it's completely different. So so this this um, idea of Americans coming out of their actual comfort zone and and their culture, which uh, they still share a common language, they still share some common uh, uh, ideals, um, is very important to to experience how cities are are built, how 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 differently people live, how differently people eat, how differently people. I mean, just the the the, the basics as well. I think is also
0: There was one story I wanted to just quickly share with you, just to show you, to to illustrate how language and culture impacts the way we think. Um, When I was serving in Zambia, when I was the provincial coordinator, so this was in my third year, so I had a vehicle. And...
1: You, you were moving up. <laughs> you yeah. were moving up in the world. Well, because I was responsible for a whole area and the, and the volunteers <laughs> because you're just in that bad. area.
0: And so, I'm traveling to a place I'd never been before, uh, and I was trying to get to a place where a volunteer was. This was the first time, one to my people. I didn't know exactly how long it was going to take to get there. Definitely want to get there before it's dark. <clears throat> so along the way. Uh, I stopped to get clarification from a man who was walking, it wasn't a road, it was kind of like a path, he was walking along this path that, that I was driving on, and I wanted to try and get a sense of like, how far is the village? And so I asked the question, um, and he looked at me curiously, I guess was like, well, how far, you know? And... He's like so he looks at me, he looks at the vehicle, he looks at me, he looks at the vehicle, and then he says, Well, you're in a car. The faster you go, the faster you get there. I have thought about that over time, and and here's what it's true. It's true, but here's the conclusion that I come to. It's like this is about how you conceive things. So for me, you know, time and distance is a function. Speed is a, is a function of time and distance, right? So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I want to know, because I'm thinking in terms of how much time this is going to be, how far is this place? And he's thinking in terms of speed. He's walking. He's thinking in terms of speed because he's looking at the world completely different. He's not concerned with time in that way. He's just thinking, well, if I walk, it's slower. If I have a bicycle, it's a bit faster. And quite fast if you're in a car. So wh- what are you worried yeah, about? Why, in your- why, are you, why are you even asking the question? Like, you're in a car, go faster. And it it really it dawned on me like how this is a, a a a rule of physics, this is a law of physics. And we understand how that's, that this works, but we conceive it in two different ways. I'm focused on one aspect of that equation, and he's focused on a completely Different one, but it, we're talking about the same issue. That, if more than anything, that kind of illustrates uh, my experience with language and culture: how how we can be talking about the same thing and perceive it and conceive it in very different ways. But the, I, I tell that story is always it was always funny. It was like yeah, yeah, car, faster you go, faster you go. There. <laughs> exactly. oh. And, and then I was like, but there's fundamental truth in that. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. It's
1: true. Exactly. And, and I guess that's, that's, uh, that's the beauty of knowing different cultures and the beauty of knowing different languages uh, because you are confronted with these different ideas and different, different ways of, of looking at the same thing and the, 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 same, the, the same puzzle piece uh, interpreted differently. So,
0: But just one last thing. So in terms of you asked me as a diplomat, you know, how are we able, perhaps, to achieve the same end? And I think you probably will have heard heard this. That, that um, I think Malcolm Gladwell does a podcast on this. In terms of you know, there used to be a large number of airline accidents, uh, relatively speaking, because we you know that's the safest way to travel. But relatively speaking, thirty years ago, there were there were more airline accidents, and. There was research into this, and NASA did research, and other institutions did research into this, and they're trying to figure out why do we have these accidents? And as they looked at them, it all came down to communication. Okay. And so, what's your goal here? Your goal is: I want to reduce the number of accidents. Right? Those that are preventable. Because what they found is this was not mechanical failure. This was not some problem with the plane. Hmm. This was
1: miscommunication. One of the things they found was that in um highly hierarchical uh yes. communities. Was great. Was, well the, 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 the flight attendants or the, the second officers were afraid to question the captain exactly. or were afraid to suggest things that were not thought through and then run through the, the chain of command. Right.
0: So so there was no... and
1: mm. So here's where this
0: becomes interesting.
1: Mm.
0: So this is, and I think this is very important. So what do you want to do? The objective is I, re, I want to reduce the number of preventable accidents. Mm. Everyone can agree with that. Now here's the problem. We say, well, this has to do with communication, and communication is a function of culture. <laughs> and if you have a High power differential, meaning that you have a mm-hmm. hierarchy, and the captain says, "Well, I'm in charge, and I make all the decisions," and that interferes with your ability to safely get from one place to another,
1: especially in 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 a crisis, in, in a crisis, in, a, in, an, in an emergency situation. Exactly, mm. and so it is understanding that and understanding it. So,
0: the the approach that I personally take is trying to focus on wait a minute, what's the problem? Mm. So the problem is that you're having these accidents that are preventable and it's based on communication. But when you start to discuss that, you will have different groups saying, you're trying to change me. Mm. This is who we are. And it's like, yeah, 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 but wait a minute, hold on. I understand all of that, but we're both in agreement that we want to avoid these accidents. How can we do that? And so it's always bringing people back to, wait a minute, what are we trying to solve? Because the danger is you start getting into these things where people will have the feeling that you're making value judgments about, well, the way we communicate or the way our culture is structured or the way that we operate. No, 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 I'm not making judgment calls about that at all. I'm just simply saying, how can we avoid this? right? Because we both agree that this is something that we want to avoid. And that is the challenge.
1: There's a, there's a study also with uh, kindergarten uh, kids, and I can't remember now exactly what it was, um, and they asked some MIT engineers or, I mean, sort of highly educated, qualified engineers um, had to uh, uh, complete a task with, I think it was toothpicks or sticks or something like that, and the same task was asked uh, by, but, but some, some random little ridiculous task And the same task was was supposed to be completed by kindergarten kids. And the kindergarten kids got uh, they, they finished faster because <laughs> because the engineers first said, you know, sort of tried to define their approach and tried to say sort of who's in charge and you're in charge of this and I'm in charge of that, and who's allowed to make this decision and sort of okay, what is our drawing and what is our strategy, and et cetera. And the kindergarten kids stood Was next to each other, stood next to each other and just kind of put pieces, you know, learning by doing and just kind of put the pieces on top, and then it, it didn't work, and then they just did it again. And just actually worked as a group. So it's a like sort of... trying to problem solve. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: But you, when you have culture and language interfering in that process, then it's like, oh, well, wait, we got to figure out how we're going to do this mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm.
1: And this this human interaction. The, one of the things, for example, for the podcast is so far, we have not done any interviews uh, uh, on the phone. Or, and it's, it's been very important to meet with the person mm-hmm. and i'd like to keep it that way i think it's so important to actually see the person and sort of uh, go beyond the communication there is yes. communication beyond words and beyond 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 even gestures beyond events so, and that's where i think you you do come across cultural barriers you 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 can uh what reach the, a person much faster one of you? the statistics on that is
0: like 93 percent of a conversation has nothing to do with the content of what is said. So let to suggest that personally meeting someone is extremely important. It's essential. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Any last words of advice?
0: My probably one piece of advice would be to young people definitely is uh, see the world. See the world when you're young. Experience the world when you're young. It will and can uh, have a huge impact on your future. Um, uh, I know it did for me, so I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from experience. Um, and it will teach you. I believe it will teach you again to be able to interact in environments confidently, um, but without making value judgments. And it's it's. What tends to interfere with communication is when we make certain assumptions and when we make value judgments. and so the earlier that they have, students have these experiences of dealing with other cultures, other languages, um, the more beneficial they will be. So go forth in the world early and
1: often. Thank you so much for meeting with me. Thank you. And thank you for your stories. I I love that. I I, I, I think it's so different. It is different to interview an American. <laughs> um, you are uh, already when we met. You told me to call you there, Dar- Dar- Darian. Yes. Did I pronounce it right now? That's right. Darian. Um, and I think that's also so so wonderful to to be right away on first name basis and your your wonderful stories and and your personal stories. It's 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 really thank truly you. it's been an honor.
0: Thank you. No, and I very much this is
1: wonderful thank you very much thank you what a great interview thank you so much darian akins for taking the time to answer my questions and for being such a personable and interesting guest make sure to tune in to our next episode this is dr j signing out